Good morning. Hey, if you have a Bible, I invite you to open it to the book of Colossians in the New Testament, chapter 2. Ann Grant, I see you here today. I want you to just wave your hand. She's the one that made the little magnets that are out in the lobby that say, Walk with Christ. And so, oh, she did too, Christine. Thank you. All right. Joint effort. Thank you for doing that. And if you didn't get pick one of those up and you'd like that as a reminder of our uh, series and not, not so much remembering the series, but remembering the point of the series, which is walking with Christ. Because this book of Colossians, in several places, tells us that that's what believing in Jesus looks like, or it's one way you can describe what believing in Jesus is like. It's like a walk. It's like an everyday journey with him. And he, he on this journey, he is our guide. He is our most important companion. And what we're going to see today is how important it is that we really know our guide. So that as we're going through our journey on this road that he's leading us on, and as it starts going through twists and turns, and we talked about some of this last time, sometimes the journey can look scary and it can look very dark. And at those times, especially, it's very important that we know our guide well so that we will trust him and follow him. So we are in Colossians chapter 2, and we are going to pick it up at verse 1 down through verse 5. Colossians 1, and in your folder there should be a note sheet if you want to take some notes, and it's got the verses on it. You can use that. So Colossians chapter 2, verse 1, the Apostle Paul writing to this group of believers in Jesus in a place called Colossae says this, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and to reach the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. All right. This is one of those paragraphs in the Bible. I, I kind of compare this to when you, when you read this, it's kind of like trying to get a drink of water out of a fire hose. There's just so much coming at you, so strong, so, so powerful, that uh, you, you just can't absorb it all. At least you can't quickly. So what we need to do here is we need to slow down, and we need to just you know take this in, in smaller sips and uh, see what it's saying. And the first thing that you need to see is that this is talking about a goal, an objective. Okay, Paul is talking about something that he wants to see happen in the lives of his readers. He says in the first part of verse 2 that he wants their hearts to be encouraged. 
All right, we talked about that last time, and if you missed it, you want to go back and uh, you can go to our website, philaida.org, and check that one out. But that is not his only objective, that their hearts be encouraged, and it's not, I think, his main objective. That's what we get to in the rest of verse 2, where it says he wants them to reach something. He wants them to (laughs) reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Now, that's a complicated sentence. Let me try to explain that in other words. Okay, what Paul wants for his readers, including us, okay, we're included in this because he says, I'm writing this for anyone who's not seen my face. Anybody here seen Paul's face recently? Okay, so we're in this. All right, what he wants for us is for us to have all the riches of full assurance. That means he wants us to have this strong assurance, this confidence, this strong confidence. And that confidence comes from understanding and knowing something. All right? You see that? You're going to have the, the, all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of something. So this strong confidence comes from knowing. It comes from understanding something. And what is it that we need to know and understand? He calls it God's mystery. Now, when you first hear that, I don't know what you think of, but that might sound like an idea, a concept. But then he goes on and he explains, no, the mystery is not an idea. It's actually a person. Christ, Messiah. Well, why does Paul call a person a mystery? Well, it's a, it's a way of saying that what we didn't used to know about this person, now we do. That's the point of mystery. That in even though in the Old Testament there are a lot of prophecies, there are a lot of glimpses of Christ the full truth of who he is, the full truth of what he came to do, especially on the cross, dying on the cross and rising from the dead, the full truth of who he is and what he came to do was not explained until Jesus came. All right, so, rewind. Paul wants us to have confidence, full assurance, and that confidence comes from knowing Jesus Christ. And the way that he talks about this, the, the, the wording he uses, that we would reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding. The way he expresses this means he wants us to know Jesus as fully as we possibly can. To know him as fully and deeply as we can. All right? How you doing? You following? All right. Here we go. This is the point. Let me just summarize this. Knowing Jesus well enables you to live life with a wonderful kind of confidence. Knowing Jesus well enables you to live life with a full assurance a confidence, and the more deeply you know him, the stronger and more stable your confidence will be. 
And that's really important. It's really important. That's why this is his goal. He wants us to have this confidence, this full assurance that comes from knowing Jesus as fully as we can. And one of the reasons for that, there's more than one, but one of the reasons is highlighted in verse 4, so that no one can delude you. You know what it means to be deluded, right? It means you believe something that isn't real. It's just not true. So, for example, if you're sitting here and you believe that you're worthless, you have no inherent worth because, you know, pretty much you're just a bunch of molecules in motion who are just the result of undirected natural processes, and you just kind of happened, and so you don't have any inherent worth. You're basically worthless. If, if you believe that, that's a delusion because it's not true. If, on the other hand, you think that you are completely wonderful in every possible way, and you don't need a Savior to make you right with God, because you're absolutely just perfect, just the way you are, you are also deluded. That's a delusion because that's not true either. To be deluded is to believe something about yourself or about others or about the world or about God that just isn't true. Now, of course, the big problem with delusions is when you have one, you don't know you have one. That's what it means to be deluded. You are unaware that your belief is false, you know, because it, it sounds good, makes sense to you. It sounds really good, it sounds true. As it says in verse 4, the arguments are plausible, plausible arguments. And there are a lot of plausible arguments floating around in our world that will hurt you very deeply if you believe them. I hope to spend more time on that next time. But here's the point. God doesn't want you to be deluded. He doesn't want you to be deluded. When some plausible argument comes along that sounds really good but isn't, he wants you to resist being deluded because you are confident of the truth. Kind of like uh, a bank teller. A bank teller is not going to be deluded by counterfeit money because he or she knows what the real thing looks like. Because he or she knows the truth, they have confidence and they can spot a delusion. And the key to this, the key in life to this kind of delusion-resisting confidence, assurance, is knowing Jesus as fully and as deeply as you possibly can. Let me say that one more time. The key to this kind of delusion-resisting confidence is knowing Jesus as deeply and as fully as you possibly can. That's the goal. That's the objective. That's what God wants for you and for me. Now, to put it in the vocabulary we're using for this series of walking with Jesus, I'll say it like this. To walk with Jesus... To walk with Jesus is to trust him as our guide. Trust him as our guide. And God wants us to know our guide really, really well. He wants us to know our guide so well that when somebody else comes along and says, Hey, 
Where are you going? What are you doing going that way? That's crazy. Don't go that way. This way makes a lot more sense. This way is better. This way will make you happier. You will be able to say, no thanks, because I know my guide, and he knows where he's going, and I trust him. See, when you're in unfamiliar terrain, and you don't know where you're going, that's not, that's not necessarily a problem if you're with somebody who does know where they're going, and you know they know where they're going, and you know them. I think that's the big idea here. I think that's the big idea in this passage. So when you walk with Jesus, just getting to your destination is not the only point. It's not the only objective here. Yeah, you want to get to the destination, but in order for you to get to that destination and to get there as uh, safe and sound as you possibly can, your objective needs to be to get to know Jesus as well as you possibly can as fully as you possibly can, so that nobody can misdirect you off the path. That's, the journey is not just about getting there. The journey is about knowing the one who's leading you there. Does that make sense? If it makes sense, just, okay, good. So we want to get to know Jesus as well as we can, so we can live life with confidence, a kind of confidence that resists delusions. Now, the obvious question is, I think, okay, so how do we get to know Jesus as fully and deeply as we possibly can? If that's the objective, how do we get there? How do we get there? Well, I see two things here. In this passage, I see two essentials for getting to know Jesus better, more deeply, more fully, more completely, getting to know our guide better. A couple of essentials I see here. All right, first one. You want to get to know Jesus more deeply? You have to work at it. We have to work at it. This doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. It's not just, you know, you, you, in other words, you can't, you can't just put your trust in Jesus, put your faith in Christ, and then keep living just the way you did before that happened. Basically, you're living life the way you did before, pretty much ignoring him, doing your own thing, making no effort to learn, no effort to grow, and then expect that you're going to wake up one day and just somehow you're going to have this deep, and uh, confidence-giving, satisfying knowledge of him. It doesn't work like that. I mean, you can't get to know anybody without effort, can you? You can't. You can't even be a friend on Facebook without at least a few mouse clicks. you got to do something, and that's totally superficial. Right? You really want to get to know somebody, you're going to have to make some effort. And the more you want to know them, the more time and energy you're going to have to invest in getting to know them. And when it comes to knowing Jesus, we don't have the luxury of face-to-face dialogue. Plus, when it comes to knowing Jesus, there's a whole lot more to know. All right? So yeah, the closest parallel I can think of to this is two people who get to know each other really well in marriage. 
two spouses who really come to know deeply the other person. I think I know my wife pretty well, right? I can usually tell what she's thinking. I can usually guess how she'll respond in a given situation. And she can do the same for me. You know, if you know people who've been married a long time and they've really gotten to know each other, it's just kind of eerie how well they know each other. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. Believe me, we've been at this for like three decades now. (laughs) What are you laughing at? (laughs) That three decades, that's a lot of time. That's a lot of energy invested in really getting to know somebody. Now, just because you're married doesn't mean you'll invest that energy. You know, you can spend 30, 40 years with a person and basically remain a stranger. It takes time. It takes energy. But the rewards are awesome. The rewards are awesome. Okay, so the point I'm just trying to make is if, if, if you're going to gain a deeper knowledge of Jesus, if you're going to get to know Jesus better, you're going to have to work at it. You're going to have to work at it. And you see that here in verse 1 where Paul talks about this great struggle he has on behalf of the Colossians and the Laodiceans and everybody who's not seen his face, this great struggle he has in order to fulfill that goal, in order that they will come to know Christ more fully, more deeply. And this word struggle is a very strong word. It's sometimes translated conflict or, or fight or um, other athletic contests like a, a, like a long-distance run, like a marathon. In other words, this is, not, this is not just a half-hearted effort. Paul is laboring. He's fighting. He is, he is working up a sweat here. He's working very hard at it. Well, what's he doing? What's he doing that's so hard? What, and, and how does what he's doing, what he's laboring, what he's struggling at, how does that help people get to know Jesus better? Because I think what he's talking about mainly is praying for them. He's laboring, he's struggling for them in prayer. So where do you get that? Well, let me show you. At the end of his letter, in chapter 4, verse 12, Paul mentions one of his co-workers, a guy named Epaphras. And he says this, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling. Okay, you see that word? Struggling. That's the verb form of the same word that's in chapter 2. Struggling on your behalf in his, what? Prayers. Why? that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. See, it's the, same, it's the same basic goal. He wants them to have assurance. He wants them to be strong. He wants them to be confident of the will of God, to know that they're going the right way. And how, what's Epaphras doing so they can have that? He's praying for them. He's struggling in prayer for them. I think Paul was also. In fact, I'm sure of it. Because if you go back to chapter 1, Paul says this. He says, We have not ceased to pray for you 
asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and look at this, and increasing in the what? In the knowledge of God. What's he doing? So they'll have all that strength and assurance and to know God more deeply, to grow in their knowledge of him. He prays for them. He prays for them. He labored in prayer for those who had come to know Christ that they would grow in their knowledge of him, that they would know him more fully, more deeply. Again, I want you to think about your life for a minute. Think about your life. Think about people in your life that you love, that you care about. If you're a believer in Jesus and you want them to grow in their knowledge of Jesus, you want them to know Jesus better, you want them to get to know Jesus as deeply and as fully as they can so that they can live their life with confidence and assurance and not be led astray, then you need to follow Paul's example and you need to pray for them. And you need people who pray for you. And you need to pray for you. You need to pray. You need to pray to grow. That others will grow in their knowledge of Jesus and that you'll grow in your knowledge of Jesus. You'll get to know him better. I've seen a t-shirt that says, life is hard, so pray harder. Okay? To know Jesus as deeply and fully as we can, we need to pray. And prayer is at times just flat out hard. It's not always hard. You know, sometimes it's very sweet, sometimes it's very easy, and you know, some prayers we just throw up real quick, and God's, God wants us to do that. He wants us to be praying throughout our day. But there are times when we've got to labor at it, and we've got to set aside the time, and we've got to set aside the place, and we've got to clear our schedules or whatever we have to do. And you say, well, why is it hard? Well, I think the simplest answer is because we're stubborn. We're stubborn. There's times when we just don't want to, Right? We just don't want to. We'd rather, you know, because prayer takes time, it takes energy, it takes focus, it takes concentration, and there's, we'd just rather do something else. Give me something easy to do. You know, let me turn on the TV. Let me check Facebook. That's easy. And there's another reason, frankly. It's because there's a spiritual battle going on. It really is. And just because we can't see it with our physical eyes we sometimes don't take it as seriously as we ought to. But if you're a believer in Jesus, you have enemies. You have spiritual enemies who don't want you to pray. And they don't want you to pray because they don't want you to know Jesus better. And they don't want you to know Jesus better because they don't want you to be able to resist their delusions, their plausible arguments. They don't want you to pray, and they will do what they can to keep you from it. Prayer, I've been a Christian for nearly 40 years now, and prayer is still hard for me. And you guys think, well, he's a pastor, it just must be easy to pray. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. Now, I've discovered some things that make it easier. 
praying with a partner, praying with somebody else makes it easier. So I highly recommend that. Doing things like having lists or schedules, you know, so you don't sit there and go, uh, you know. Having a plan, being intentional, that really helps. So I, I recommend those things. Pray with others. Pray using prayer sheets or schedules or something to help guide your thoughts that are going to want to wander like sheep, you know, free in a meadow somewhere. But it's hard. It's some of the hard work that we have to do in order to get to know Jesus better. That's not all, though. There's more. And it's implied here in this word mystery. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that getting to know Jesus is confusing or that he's mysterious. That's not the point. The idea here is that Jesus, who once was mainly unknown to us, now has been made known. He has been revealed. Question, how has Jesus been revealed to us? How did that happen? Well, he was born, became a man, he lived among us, he taught, he proclaimed the truth of who he is and what he wanted. He died on a cross, he rose from the dead, he ascended to heaven, and he chose messengers to take his message. He did all of this to reveal the truth of who he is and what he wants, what he intends, the truth about himself, the truth about us, the truth about the world, the truth about the future. Now, how do we know that truth? How do we know what's been revealed? Because all of the truth that has been revealed about who he is and what he did and what he will do is now contained in these spirit-inspired words. Words on pages. Words and sentences and paragraphs with things like verbs and nouns and other parts of speech that make you shiver just to think about that. All you need to know about Jesus and all you need to know about what he wants for your life is right here. You got to read it. You have to read. We have to read it. We have to listen to it. We have to study it. We have to learn from it. And that can be very hard work. See, well, that's, that's just so much work. Yeah, but look at verse 3. It says that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Think of that word, treasures. You know, somebody came up to you and said, you know, I buried, I buried a big box of gold in your backyard. Here's the map. Would you go, oh, man, what a hassle. You mean I got to go out there and dig it up? No, you'd say, give me that map. I'm going for it. It's treasure. Treasure is something you want. And in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It reminds me of the book of Proverbs where it says in chapter 3, Blessed, happy is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding, for she, that is wisdom, is more profitable than silver, yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Wisdom is a treasure. 
And Jesus has all the wisdom you will ever need to face all of the challenges you will ever face. Do you want to be wise? (laughs) You should. You should. You want to be a wise parent? You want to be a wise father, wise mother? You want to be a wise wife, wise husband, wise, wise employer, wise employee? Would you like to know how to handle challenging situations? Would you like to know how to respond to difficult people? Then get to know Jesus and his teaching as deeply as you can, and you will become wiser. God has revealed to us powerful truth, but it takes effort to get it out of the book and into your life. We have to work at it. Okay? So that's one essential. That's one essential. Don't look at your watch. I still got a few minutes. I see that. (laughs) He goes, whoa. That's one. Here's the other. It's shorter, brother. It's shorter. All right, we have to work at it. Do you see that? You get that? We have to work at it. We have to pray. We have to get the truth out of the book and into our lives. We have to work at it. And here's the other essential. We have to work at it together. We have to work at it together. Look at those four words in the middle of verse 2. Knit together in love. There are no filler words in the Bible. He's not just, you know, he's not like a student who's got to have an X number of words for an essay, and it's a little short, so we'll come up with, you know, filler. Being knit together in love is not filler. All right, what's the goal? The goal is reaching all the riches of full assurance of understanding, the knowledge of Christ. That's the goal. That's the objective. If that's the goal, if that's the objective, being knit together in love is the environment in which we pursue the objective. It is in the midst of loving community that we gain a deeper knowledge of Jesus. Let me say that again. It is in the midst of loving community that we gain a deeper knowledge of Jesus. Knowing him better is a community project. In other words, you have to experience his truth being lived out in community in order to know him as deeply as you can. Now let me just give you a for instance of that. All right, the Bible teaches us that the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross is completely sufficient to pay for, to cleanse all of our sins, past, present, future, all of them. His death on the cross, completely sufficient for that. And because of that, when we put our trust in him, he accepts us completely, totally, without any reservation. John 6.37, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Now, you may have heard this before. 
fact, I taught on it just a few weeks ago when I talked about Jesus reconciling us to God. All right, but here's the issue. It's one thing to know in your head that Jesus accepts you completely. But until you experience his acceptance through a person who represents him, a person you can see and hear and touch, until you experience that, your understanding of his acceptance will be shallow. It will be superficial. And there are a lot of Christians who are in that place. You, you may not have experienced that through a person, the, the depth of acceptance. And there are a lot of reasons for that. One of the big reasons is, is that we're too busy pretending we're better than we are. Because we're afraid if, you know, if, well, if people knew who I really was, if they knew what I'm really like, they wouldn't accept me. And so that fear keeps us from doing that. But you know what? When you're able to be honest about all your flaws and you're able to be honest about your failures and about the things that you are ashamed of, when you're able to be honest and then have someone accept you because of Christ's love in them, your understanding of His acceptance, your knowledge of your knowing of him is going to deepen. That's just how it works. You will know him better because you have experienced him through his people. I was talking earlier this week with Danny Wisner, and uh, she shared an experience with me of exactly what I'm talking about. So, Danny, I want you to come up here. Yeah, I know. You were hoping I wouldn't, but... Just choose a microphone and just share your, your story because I think this will help. I came prepared. <laughs> um, several years ago, there was a wonderful couple who used to come to our church by the name of Lila and Lori Irvine. And Lori stands for Lawrence, if you don't know him. Just wonderful people. And we were, had the privilege, my husband and I, of being in a small group with them for a number of years, a committed every week Bible study group. And we got to know these people quite well. Well, then Lori and Lila moved away, and um, they happened to come back one week to visit here at our church. And that happened to be the very same morning that my teenage daughter and I <laughs> had been having that mother-teenage-daughter experience that you often have if you've had teenagers, and we weren't getting along very well, and it was a rough morning. But we came to church, and my daughter was here, and she was sitting somewhere being all rebellious and unhappy, and I was sitting somewhere else doing what I always do, you know, and kind of getting through service. And anyway, at the very end of the service, um, Lori made a beeline for me, and he didn't say, oh, hi, how you been? Haven't seen you in a while, you know, all that stuff. And Lori's a great big guy, and he came up to me, and he reached down, and he put his arm around me, got his face in my face, and all he said to me was, is it that girl of yours? And at that moment, oh, you have to know something else about me. Growing up, I was not in a Christian home, and my dad wasn't a bad dad, but he just wasn't there, you know, and I did not know what it was like to have a relationship with a father. And when Lori did that with me, I felt such watchfulness over me and concern over me and care and love and I was so deeply touched by this man who came to show me his love and check in on me and then I went home and you know was still really happy and awesome and 
And then I had a moment with God, and he said to me, he says, you know, that's just a little taste. That's just a little glimpse of how I feel for you. Mm. And I'd never had that experience before. So I just praised him and thanked him so much for giving me Lori that day. Thank you. You get it? That was the point I'm trying to make. It's as we experience Christ through his people that we get to know him more deeply. We begin to understand more deeply who he is. Do you see why it matters so much that we be the church to one another? Do you see why it matters so much that we put aside our other agendas and we come and we live out his agenda? And when I say come, I don't just mean here in this room or in classrooms, but in relationship with one another. Do you see why it matters? Do you see why we need meaningful connections with one another where we, we demonstrate his truth and his grace to one another? Do you see what's at stake? It's not just so that we'll have a great time with one another. What's at stake is knowing Jesus more deeply, more fully. We learn things about Jesus in loving community that we don't learn anywhere else. I swear I'm not making this up. Because I know some of you are thinking, oh, you just say this stuff so you'll get, get us to go to groups and be in groups and join groups and all this stuff. It's just blah, blah, blah. I'm not making it up. Look at Ephesians 3.18. Paul prays that his readers, okay, he's sharing a prayer for them. He says, I pray that you will comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. See the goal? I want you guys to know Christ's love. How big, how deep, how wide, how high. I want you to experience his love. Okay, comprehend with all the saints. No filler in the Bible, remember? You know what that means? All the saints? That means other believers in Jesus. It's with other believers in Jesus that we experience just how great the love of Jesus really is. Or 1 John 4.12, no one's ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. If we really want to know him, if we want to know him as deeply and as fully as we can, we have to work at it, and we have to work at it together. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, I think it would be good if we just stopped and were astonished that you want us to know you that deeply. That you love us. That you want us to know you. You want us to know your truth. You want us to live a life free from delusions that would harm us. You want us to have that confidence, that assurance that comes from really knowing you. So help us really know you. If there's anyone here today who hasn't taken yet the first step to just say, Jesus, I need you. I need a Savior. I know I know I'm wrong. I know I've been going wrong. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. Let today be the day that they do that. If there are those here who are just 
trapped in kind of a superficial, surfacey knowledge of you. Lord, help them take the step, do the hard work of going deeper with you, by going deeper with one another, by praying, by getting your word out of the book and into our lives. Help us, Lord. We, we just can't do this in our own strength. So we ask you to do it. And we thank you for the great journey we're on. In Jesus' name, amen.